Well, I think for almost everybody, it's at some level or another with some um, depth of feeling that it's it's hard to say goodbye. Um, it's hard because um, you love someone, you care for them, you uh, delight to be with them, and the time of being with them necessarily has to come to an end. And so um, you have to say goodbye. And uh, I'm one of those persons that it's it's really hard for me. But I think some of my tears and some of my sadness is it's not only because I love people so much, it's, it's self-pity. It's, um, it's ingratitude for the time that we've had together and wanting more than, than God wants me to have. Instead of rejoicing for what has been given, I weep for what is lost. And, and, and that's not always right. Well, Paul the Apostle uh, has to say goodbye uh, in his letter, and uh, he, he has his own way of doing it. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he had a sad heart uh, uh, as he closed the letter or not, but I know he had a purposeful one. I know he had a loving one. I know that uh, he, he wanted to leave uh, one more time those things of greatest importance. And so he says goodbye in verse 11 by saying, See with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. And um, why did he write it in, in such large letters? Uh, uh, could it be because he had poor eyesight? Because he was older? Could it be? He had bad handwriting, you know, through his injuries and, and, and his shaky hands. Could it then? That's possible. Josh Moody, though, says, uh, allowing for those things, he says, Paul is doing the ancient equivalent of underlining or using a bold font in an email. These last few words, his goodbye, are in all caps. He, he uh, couldn't click on the bar up above for bold or underline or to increase the font size, but he could write with his own hand. And so um, it is thought that he took the pen out of the hand of the amunensis, I never heard that word in my life, but that's what that's what the commentators use. Amunensis, which just has to it has something to do with with a hand, mano, and or manu in Latin, I I I suppose, and and servant, the secretary, that person that was taking the uh, dictation, and he takes the pen out of out of his hand. And puts it in his own and writes in all caps or in bold letters these following words that we have in our passage. So, we really want to pay close attention to what they may have even held it up 
as as they read it, I wish I had really big type on this and hell and said, Look at this. Look how Paul closes. Let's really pay attention to what he's writing with his own hand as he says goodbye to us. So we we have a simple three point outline in 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 uh, verses uh, well what Paul is doing, he's going to give the grand landscape of the religious world, not only in the book of Galatians, but as it exists on planet Earth. And he's going to do it in, in just a few verses. What does it really look like? Well, in verses 12 through 13, you, you have the lost and dead world. In verses 14 and 15, you have the regenerated living world. And thirdly, in uh, verses 16 uh, through 18, you have the indications and blessings of being a part of this new world. That's what he wants to write. That's the last thing that that he wants to tell them. So, as we look in the first place at the lost and dead world in verses 12 and 13, We read that it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. The lost and dead world worries principally about what is on the outside. What is the outward? What man can do apart from God. That's what they boast of. That's what they brag about. That's where we come from. That's where we began in the old world where we thought well of ourselves, of whatever religion we had, whatever we were doing, whatever rules we were keeping, we were proud of that. We were glad for that. We distinguished ourselves from other people because we're not like them. We were different. This is the the lost and dead world that he is speaking of. What man can do in this context is cut away flesh. This is what Saul This is the price that he wanted. He said, thus you shall say to my servant David, that that, that the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. He said, this is what you got to do, buddy. If, if you want Michael, my daughter, then work for it. Don't want any of your money. I want you to work for it. But what Saul really wanted was him to die for it. He didn't want to give Michael his daughter. But God prospered David, and he brought back 200. Not 100, but 200. But that's what man can do. And so in this world that we live now, this whole business of circumcision and the outward and what man can do, it still lives today. We want to say, if I am baptized, then I am bound for heaven. 
I'll go to heaven because I've been baptized. If I take communion, then that means I'm a good guy. There is some benefit from that sacramental activity. That's what we say, even down to this day. And that's what religion becomes when it's robbed of its real meaning. It is evidence of being in the lost world. What did circumcision represent? What was it about? It was a visible sign of something that was to happen inside, an inward work of a circumcised heart, a heart dedicated to God. It was to distinguish you from the lost world. But it, it, it became a work of its own. What is baptism? Baptism doesn't do anybody any good unless you know what it is, unless it symbolizes what it really is. Going under the water, what, what, what will that do for somebody? Absolutely nothing. But if it symbolizes a reality in your heart that you were joined to Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection, it is highly significant. But it does not confer anything. What does the Lord's Supper do? You don't rightly take of it unless you are trusting completely and entirely and exclusively in the life and death and blood of Jesus Christ. It will do nothing for you. And yet millions believe, like circumcision, if we go to church and if we are baptized and, and, and if we take the cup and if we participate in Holy, in holy Communion and, and, and all the rest, that somehow that makes us better. That, that is the old world, the gospel plus nothing. The cross plus nothing is where salvation is, is found. Their motto, their cry, out of Acts chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. What an absurdity. What foolishness. What darkness that was. Well, the other reason... They wanted to boast about the baskets, the baskets of foreskins. We got these Christians to become Jews. You got to be a Jew first before you can be a Christian. What baloney that is! One hundred percent. The other reason is that they wanted to, according to verse twelve, the second part of the verse. They wanted to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Circumcision would make them like Jews, and neither the Jews would persecute them, nor the promiscuous, pluralistic Roman government. Everything would be just fine if everybody was circumcised. They were afraid of being persecuted when Jesus himself said, I send you out as sheep. In the midst of wolves. When Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, take courage, I have overcome the world. When Jesus gave a parable 
and the seed that was sown that eventually did not produce fruit, what caused it not to do that? Why did they fall away? Because of persecution. Persecution is a part of the Christian life at some level. We know that we have been spared tremendously, but Christianity at large is not spared. We are spared here in in the United States. We may get some verbal persecution. We may suffer in in our job in some way, but um, persecution is one of the marks of being a Christian. Those who suffer with Christ. But you see, preaching Christ alone, they wanted circumcision with it. But preaching him alone will get you into trouble. Because when you preach Christ alone, it flies in the face of human pride. We can't stand it. We can't stand the fact that we can offer absolutely nothing. There must be some good in me. There must be something I can do. We would like a list of do's and don'ts. We love that. We default to that. That's what we want to do. That's what we think will get us in into heaven. That's what all the world religions believe. That's what we tend to believe if we're not careful. But it is a cross alone. There's an objection to that. We, by nature, the old world hates it. It hates that idea that the only way I can come to heaven is through the sacrifice of somebody else, exclusively done by somebody else. Without the grace of God, our righteousness, our self-righteousness is so strong, we'll never let go of it. We'll never believe it. We'll say, how can that be when I can do this and this and this and this and I've not done that, that, and that? I am better than others. I am not so bad as I am. Oh, but you are. You're worse than you ever know if you're in this same lost world. The other feature then that's in this lost and dead world is found in verse 13. Paul is very clear as, as he writes in all caps. He says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that you that they may boast in your flesh. Paul says that the, that the law promoters do not keep the law. Nobody does. People that think that they can live by the Ten Commandments and, and somehow they will be justified, They don't keep them. There is not a commandment that we have not broken, either literally or spiritually, which is still breaking them. People claim to be justified by law-keeping, and they don't do it. It's just as simple as that. None of the Pharisees, none of these religious leaders were keeping the law. They were law-breakers. And yet they want to promote circumcision. What an absurdity that is. The ancient law, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your soul. 
who will make a claim to that? Who who will say, I have loved God with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul, with all of my mind? See, sin is so much more than just the individual acts, the, the individual things that, that we do wrong. Sin is also this grander, more, more enormous category of everything that we've left out. Sin, the essence of, of sin, isn't the individual deeds and misdeeds and omissions that you do. It is a whole way of life. It's a whole way of life autonomously and separately and independently living according to your own standard. That's what sin is. It's walking away from God. It's ignoring God. It's neglecting God. It's, it's refusing to listen to God. Law keepers who make this claim are selective law keepers. They, they keep the laws that are convenient to them. They keep the outward things that will win the approval of men. But they are not loving God. They are not following after him. They're not receiving his son. They're not obeying the gospel. They're not praying. They're not doing the right things that God wants them to do and that they would enjoy. They don't have any of those things. John R. Stott says this. He says, nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size. Like the cross. He says, all of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness. Until we have visited a place like Calvary, it is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. That's how big you are. You're, You're as big as you can be Well, Paul that said earlier in, in uh, Galatians 2.21, says, I don't, I, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, Christ died. Perfect. You could get saved by keeping the law, which you can't, and you don't, if you could, then why in the world did Christ die? He died to make up for your law-breaking, for our law-breaking. I sent this quote out last night really, really late. Probably not everybody read it, but it's, it's really wonderful. I sent it out with uh, Pastor Mark Redfern's invitation. They're going to be coming home, and that uh, their house is in some disarray, I, I suppose, and, and they'd like to get settled. But underneath that, I sent out a wonderful quote by a man by the name of Ian Dugwood. Here's what he says. He says, Our sins have paid our admission price into eternal separation from God. In one word, hell. Another way to think of it is that we, with the wages of our sin, have purchased a travel ticket to hell. What Jesus did on the cross was to take that ticket right out of our hands. Instead, he gave us the ticket. 
he had earned by his righteous life, a ticket that will admit the bearer into God's presence. He switched places with us, going where we deserve to go, while sending us to the destination he had merited. Hallelujah. That's that's the gospel. That's what we have. Well, the second point then, please, is, is, is the regenerated living world. You have that in verses 14 and 15. Paul says, in the new world, with the new life, with the regenerated heart, in the new kingdom that is here and yet, and yet not yet, that already is and is yet to come. He says in, in bold letters, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Well, behold the first feature then. Behold the great contrast that comes by virtue of grace. Grace is enough. Grace is enough to convince any sinner that there is nothing else to boast in, but in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is where we come alive. This is where it begins with grace. It begins with the cross. It stays with the cross. It stays with grace. And it will continue forever by grace. We'll glory in that cross. What does it mean? What does it mean to boast? It means to glory in something. It means to trust in it. It means to count on it. It means to count it valuable. It means to delight in it, to embrace it. It means to rejoice in it, to revel in it. It means to live for it. What do people boast of? They boast of their works. They boast of their possessions. They boast of what they have. They boast of who they are. We boast in the cross. Because there is nothing to compare to the cross, but only grace, only grace will give that to us. And that's the chief feature of this new world. It's, it's a gracious, regenerating, alive, living world. One of my favorite um, contemporary, and, and, and I don't listen to a lot of contemporary music uh, that has words. I like what we're singing in this church. I'm so thankful for the music ministry. I'm thankful for all the new things we're learning. I like what they sing at PBCC. I've enjoyed it so much. But I don't have a lot of this on my iPod or anything that I'd walk around listening to. But but Pastor Jonathan turned me on to a song um, by Jeremy Riddle that that it's got to be my favorite. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. I'm just going to read a few of the lyrics. Here's what he says. In under the theme of boasting in the cross. As to the cross I look, to the cross I cling, of its suffering I do drink, of its work I do sing. For on it my Savior, both bruised and crushed, showed that God is love and God is just. At the cross you beckon me, you draw me, Gently to my knees, and I am lost for words, so lost for love, and I am sweetly broken, 
wholly surrendered. What a priceless gift. Undeserved life have I been given through Christ crucified. That's, that's boasting in the cross. That's having, having it all for yourself. That's, that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to proclaim. May God forgive us for being silent when we had an opportunity to boast Jesus Christ and his cross. We've just got to do it. We, we've got to launch out. We, we've got to fight for it. We've got to share it in the lost and dying world that we're living in. This uh, crazy song that came from Aladdin uh, is, is evidence of, of that lost and dying world that we came up. This is just one stanza there. there you know, I, I don't go to many movies, but I did see this one. I know it's really old and dated. It's a, they're, they're flying on this magic really. This is what he says as he sings to the princess. He says, a whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. No one can tell us no or where to go or what to say. They can't tell us to say we're only dreaming. A whole new world, a wondrous place for you and me. How how empty that is, isn't it? Where is is God? Where is God? It sounds really good, and her eyes are so big, and and and, and all, but it, but it, it it's a, it's as empty as a dry bucket. Well, the second feature then, um, of this new, of this new world, um, is is uh, is found in his words, where he says, in verse fourteen, by the by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision. That's his testimony. This is what's happened. There's been, in this text, there's been a, a double crucifixion. In, in the text of the Bible, there's been a triple crucifixion. Christ was crucified. We are crucified, and the world is crucified to us because of his crucifixion. That's what he's saying. The, the, the world has lost its grip on us. The world cannot claim to own us any longer. It, 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 it has no claim upon us. We can no longer live for this world. That's the grand explanation of why we are so strange. To, to a certain degree, we are a very strange group of people. We are a strange family of God because in the world that we live in, we are no longer attached to this present evil world which is going down. Yet at the same time, because we've been crucified to the world, it no longer controls us. So we can live in this world and enjoy this world without being controlled by it, without being dominated by it, but without being enslaved by it. We once were. That's what we lived for. But now we can live in the other world of regeneration, of the new birth, 
of glorying in, in the cross, of boasting in the cross. And yet, we can live in this world because it cannot keep us. It cannot hold us. And we can take others with us. That's what we want to do. We want to, we want, you know what? Everybody here who is without Christ, I want to tell you something. All of us who have Christ, Christ by grace, Christ given to us, Christ saving us, Christ opening our eyes, the Holy Spirit regenerating us. We have this. We know what the world is that we're talking about. But we know your world. We know your world very, very well. Just like you do. You can't tell us anything about your world that we don't know about. And there are many things, if not all of those things, we have experienced. We, we already know what all the benefits are. We know what the pleasure is. We, 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 we know how much fun there is in it. But you don't know what's in our world. Why don't you come over to ours? We've been in yours. We can tell you all about it. Why don't you come? Come and find the new world, the regenerated world, the glorious world, the joyous world, the happy, the family of God. You can have it all. Why don't you try that? Why don't you try? Why don't you call upon the name of the Lord and enter into the kingdom? I told this story. That's right out of the Bible. At the uh, funeral of um, Mary Ridings, Tootsie, and and God just gave it to me. He's giving it to me again. It fits here. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and one a publican. And the Pharisee stood up and he prayed to himself, but he thanked God. Thanked God for all the stuff he was able to do. He was a doer. He was a list keeper. He was doing all those things. And he thanked God for it. He was a man of works. He, he was a man of, of outward experiences, outward demonstration. But there was another man who was in the temple who wouldn't even lift his eyes up to him. And he beat his breast. And he said, God, be merciful to me. That man, that day, at that moment, went home justified. What am I saying? I'm saying right now, today, this place, if you will let go of your righteousness, turn up. Turn away from your righteousness. Turn away from your own ideas. Turn away from all the stuff that you would thank God for if you were made to do it and you were in the right kind. Just turn away from all of that and just ask for mercy. If you'll do that, if you'll ask for mercy, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, if you'll turn from your sins, if you'll leave those, those things behind, say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You can go out those doors. When this service is over, be justified. You can go home a justified sinner if you'll call upon his name and ask for mercy. Don't count on anything else. That's what the, the parable teaches. That's the central teaching. That man went home that day 
forgiven of his sin. You can have it too. Well, let me read to you what, um, this is a wonderful quote uh, from uh, Philip Ryken on, on what it means to be crucified to the world. He says the world refers to all the godless values and hopeless pleasures of this present age. It is unredeemed humanity dominated by sin. It is a world apart from God, the mindset of the self seeking its own desire. But the cross strikes a death blow to such worldliness. As Christians, we no longer think the the way the world thinks, talk the way the world talks, or misbehave the way the world misbehaves. We no longer take comfort in the comforts of the world and what it has to offer. We no longer value what the world values. We We no longer care what the world thinks, all because we have been crucified to the world. What means the world... What means the world to us now is the cross. As far as we are concerned, they can take the whole world away as long as they leave us Jesus. I'm rebuked by reading those words because I read those words and and, and, and I say, this is the ideal and I've not achieved it. But I'm going to tell you something. We can fight. We can fight. And, and the more you fight against sin, the more you don't give in to it, the more you look away, the more you replace your thoughts, the more you purpose to do good, the more you'll strengthen that in you. Every time you capitulate, every time you give in, you only weaken yourself. Don't do it. Fight for the joy. Fight for the glory. Fight for the holiness. Fight to be crucified to this world. And when it impinges upon you, know that it cannot control you. You've already got that victory. We, we need to just work it out. We need to remind ourselves, I am crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. To me. That's what we've got to get. Well, let's look at the third place then. Um, this is the marks or indications and Blessings of being a part of this new world. Paul says in verse 16, As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This is the blessing. The blessing of walking by this rule. Mark numero uno is all of us, all of us walk by the rule. That word is, is actually canon, K-N-O-N, and it means a measuring rod or ruler that uh, carpenters or, or, or surveyors use. Scott says, so the church has a rule by which to direct itself. This is the canon, this is the list of Scripture, the doctrine of the apostles. And here in Galatians, the cross of Christ and the new creation. That's the rule that we walk by. And this great change, we want to tell you unbelievers, and we want to remind ourselves, we delight. We delight in the law of God. We delight. We love it. 
It is our joy to be able to keep his rule. We want to do it. It's what sanctification is all about. Ultimately, is that we will be completely free from all sin. And we will perfectly love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And we will not be troubled by sin anymore. We want this. If, if we could be from, free from sin right now, dear lost person, we would take it. If all the pleasure could be taken out of any sinful movement or thought or look or touch or, or possession, we'd say take it all away. Take it all away. Because we glory in, in the cross. We love Jesus. That's what we want. Well, he says, peace and mercy. He says, and those who walk by this rule in this new world, peace and mercy be upon them. My two greatest blessings that we could possibly have. Not necessarily the feeling of peace. Not always peace in our hearts. Not always in a peaceful situation. But always, always peace with God. That is what we have. We always have peace with God. It never goes away. We can never lose it. Praise God. Peace and mercy. That's all we need. We just have those two things. Peace with God and a merciful God in the way he deals with us. That's what we have. That's what he wishes. And he wishes it upon the Israel of God. That's who we are. We are the true circumcision. That's what he says in uh, chapter 3 and verse 29 in, in, in this very epistle. He says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The original design and intent of circumcision is found in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6 where Moses writes, and, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Paul says in Philippians 3, 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in, in the flesh. That's that's where we are, dear flock of God. We are what God really wanted, what God really in, in, intended. We are the true circumcision. We are the true Jew. We are the Israel of God. We are Abraham's offspring. This is what he really wanted. And this is what he has done. And, and all who, who hear this, all who are hearing this right now, we want you to join us. You can be with us. Just come. Just make up your mind now. Don't decide. Don't decide to resist and stiff arm what you're hearing. D d decide to open up your heart. Now, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to come. I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm going to call. Don't, don't resist it. This, this may be this poor sermon that you're getting. But whatever feelings you have right now, if you have any feelings at all, this may be all the feeling you ever have, all the sensation that I ought to come to Christ. This, this may be the moment that you must act upon the feeling that you have right now, the inclination 
to say, whatever Pastor Keith is talking about, the Jesus that he proclaims, the cross that he boasts in, I want that. I want what all this family is counting on. I want to be a part of it. Just, just go on and do it. Just ask for it. Just ask God for it. And he'll give it to you. Well, the other mark then in uh, verse 17, Paul says, now, no, now, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. He had the true stigmata. Not the imagined one. But he had the bruises. He had the scars. La cicatriza son ventajosas, I told you. Scars are advantageous. For Paul, the scars were... were were pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. For Paul, they were the evidence that he loved Christ and, and that he would stand for Christ. You, you all have scars. Maybe you don't have these kinds of scars. But I know this flock well enough. Your pastors know you well enough to know that in your lives, you've got emotional scars You've got spiritual scars. You've got secret scars. You may not have many of them, but some of you live with an uneven yoke. Your husband does not know the Lord, and you have a scar. Some of you have been treated unjustly or unfairly or unthinkingly by your brother or sister in Christ even. You've got a scar. Got a scar from that. Some of you don't have a husband at all, and you walk alone. Your husband left you. You have a scar. Some of you have lost. It's never happened to me, but I, I could imagine the pain. It's, it's unthinkable. But there are people in our church that have lost their children. Their baby... Or their son has gone to be with the Lord, and they're not here now. And all these scars, you never let go of Christ. You never turn from the cross. You never walked away from Jesus. You, you, you have the same kind of evidence, and we may get more of it. Don't be afraid. The grace of God is sufficient for all of us. We're not going to worry about that. But Paul says, I don't want to hear anything more about regulations and requirements. I bear the marks. I bear the marks of Jesus Christ. I'm attached to him. That's all I need. Don't talk to me about circumcision or about any other rite, R-I-T-E. I don't need any of those things. Leave me alone on that. So, his last words then, his last words as he's going to lay his pen down, verse 18, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what he wishes, we cannot underestimate grace, 
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. I love that. Brothers. He's speaking to the family of God. That's what he wishes for them. That's what they're going to have. Praise God, that's what we have here at Heritage Baptist Church. Hallelujah. This is a family. We have all kinds of imperfections, yes. But this is a family that loves each other. This is a family that any lost person can, can, can say what, what love they have for each other. They see that. They know that. May we never lose it. May it always be growing. May God help us to grow in our love for one another. This is what we want. And so he, he actually closes the letter. Excuse me. He closes the letter the way he began it. Galatians 1.3 says, Grace to you, peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you with all of our being, with our all of our souls. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you for his works and not ours. We thank you for the great salvation that the Holy Spirit has brought to us. We beg you, we beg you with all of our hearts to save our children, to, to save those here that are outside of Christ. May they come to boast in Jesus, boast in, in, in the cross. There's nothing, we say this now, there's nothing that we have or shall ever obtain in this world that we have ever had, that we've ever done, that we want to boast about. We want to boast about Jesus. He's, he is worthy. He's the only one. So we give all praise and adoration and glory to his great name. Amen.